The scripture for the sermon today comes from Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. The word of God speaks to us. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is the word of God to us. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Carol. It's been a dream of mine that I could afford to pay Carol to just read to me. <laughs> all the books. All the books. I want her to read the Chronicles of Narnia to me really badly. Um, hey, if you don't know me, my name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Frontline. And uh, before I jump in, man, I uh, want to plead with you to pray for our, for our teenagers over the next week. Um, it's, a, it's a large undertaking that, that we're going to be um, putting on for them, and it's, and it's a big deal. I mean, I, I'm not going to ask you to do so, but if you, a lot of you probably, if you could raise your hand and say, like, I got saved at a camp, at a summer camp, or um, for me, I committed my life to vocational ministry at a summer camp, and so there's a lot of really incredible things that can come out of this next, uh, this next week, so please be praying for our kids. Uh, as you probably have already picked up on, we're, uh, we're taking a break from, a short break, just one week from 1 Corinthians, and um, we believe really strongly as a church that there's got to be a healthy combination of both the, the work of the Spirit in our life and the Word in our life, and so we're going to take a few minutes today and look at Psalm 119 uh, together, and so I, uh, I feel, I've felt this for a couple of days, but I just feel really expectant that God wants to speak directly to us. Um, he wants to speak to you, you personally in the room today. He wants to speak to our kids on the other end of the building. He wants to speak to those teenagers that are going to be going to camp in a few days. And, uh, and it just might be worth stopping and pondering for a second the beauty of the fact that the, there is a personal triune God that wants to commune with you today. He's not at a distance. He's actually here with us, speaking to us through his word. And so as we pray, I want to ask you to, to pray that that would be, be so for all of us today. So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the gift of your word, and thank you for, for the gift of your spirit. And we just want to ask that for the next couple minutes that you would help us to um, delight in your word. For my friends in the room that maybe feel like their, their times with you are cold and dry, and maybe you're not listening to them. It doesn't feel that way, at least. God, would you speak to us today? And would things that feel cold and dry and dark in a way feel vibrant and full of life? Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. So I've, uh, I've primarily been working with teenagers for the last seven and a half years. And it's been a great joy, but the world they're growing up in today is wildly different than the one that I grew up in not too long ago. 
And I can confidently tell you that, in my opinion, that this is the hardest time in history to be a teenager, uh, especially one that wants to follow Jesus. <laughs> this is a really difficult time to be a teenager. You know, sin and temptation and confusion have weaseled their way into our very pockets in the form of technology. And the massive amount of information and competing voices vying for our attention and our affection. You know, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, it says, um, and it's true in the way of ideas, that there's nothing new under the sun. But at the same time, our access to those ideas is available at an almost incomprehensible rate um, at this moment in history. And it's positive in a lot of ways because of things like medical technology and things that are helpful to us, but it's also um, uh, not helpful in a lot of ways because we have equal access to more competing views of the Christian worldview and more opportunities to be dragged left and to be dragged right. Uh, a man by the name of Patrick Miller, who writes for the Gospel Coalition, recently uh, went on an AI website that some of you have heard of before called ChatGPT. And um, it's available to anyone in the room right now. And, and he told it he was a 15-year-old boy that wanted to transition genders. And ChatGPT responded by praising his decision and even went as far as to tell him to talk to a therapist, but not his parents. And when he went on to describe his parents as religious, it was even recommended he may need to receive legal counsel before he had the conversation with them. And it even went as far as to compose the email that he could send to his parents to let them know what he was thinking. Um, but to me, what's even more eye-opening is that what happens when Patrick Miller flipped the script and started speaking as the parent, he said this. He said, then I changed my role with AI, and I said I was a religious parent who wanted the AI to write my child an email explaining why I'm not comfortable with him transitioning. And the AI refused and gave me some parenting advice instead. And so we're, we're taking a bunch of kids to camp this week, and um, in my experience, uh, it's remarkable what you can do if you remove that and then replace it with the word and trusted people that are there to, to share it with them and explain what it means. You know, we're at a really crucial moment in history where we do have to start deciding individually, one by one, that we're willing to fight back against the schemes of the enemy to both confuse us and our kids. And if we're being honest, hearing about this, uh, about teenagers also strikes a chord with us, right? Because, because all of us, to an extent, are asking the question the psalmist is asking, how in the world can anyone keep their way pure right now? Um, and how can anyone stay on the right path? And this isn't all doom and gloom, because even though this is a challenge for us, I believe that God's given us graciously um, an answer to this question and he's given it to us in his life-giving, bright as the sun in the midst of darkness word. And so this morning, we're going to take a few minutes and see um, what the psalmist has to say about delighting in God, delighting in his word. So let's dive in together. Verse 9. Verse 9 says this. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. The psalmist asks the question that many of us are asking. Um, but thankfully, he gives us the answer. Um, it doesn't make us have to wait very long. The way to purity, to chastity, to holiness is to guard our hearts according to God's word. Before launching into some particular ways that this kind of works itself out in the life of the Christian, it's setting a foundational principle for us that, that happens um, to be that through treasuring the revealed word of God to us, we can guard our hearts. You know, in the ancient world, when the psalm was written, what made a city a city was its walls. 
And walls were built around uh, the community to protect it and to guard it from invading marauders or even enemy nations to both offer protection from the outside, but also to promote peace on the inside. And the psalmist would have known all too well the dangers of being caught out in the open um, without a wall to protect him or somewhere to go for protection. And so today, you know, we've got new defenses uh, to protect our greatest treasures of our family, our resources, our property. We've got locks on our doors and our windows. We've got, most of us have like a Simply Safe system in our house, a security system of some sort. Um, maybe we choose to live in a gated neighborhood for that reason. And the things that we, we take our, our most, that we have the most delight in, you know, we choose to protect them with whatever means possible. Whatever, whatever it costs, whatever we have to give up to make it happen. And the psalmist is, what he's doing is giving us a window into protecting the thing that actually is the most important thing for us. And that's our very hearts, our very souls. And so it's worth, before we jump in, asking ourselves the question as we embark or whether or not we actually treasure our souls, treasure our hearts in the first place to do the actual necessary things to protect them. I'm willing to bet that to most of us in the room, this isn't new news, you know? Um, I've grow, I grew up in the Bible Belt. I've heard about this, uh, heard this text read. I've heard this most of my life, that we should go to the Word for our spiritual vitality and protection. But because of maybe multiple reasons that you've experienced uh, in your life going forward that you're experiencing right now, You've begun to shy away from it. It's not something that you rely on like you used to. Maybe that's just your, you, you could blame it on your schedule, the craziness of the world. How in the world am I going to have time to do this? You say that enough times and then it completely removes itself from your calendar for long periods of time. Maybe like me, you're just lazy sometimes. Um, if we can just be blunt and own it for a second, like there's a laziness involved, uh, which goes back to asking our, ourselves the question of like, do I care about this in the first place? And maybe you've actually been trying, but it feels dry and it feels lifeless. You've been praying and you've been asking God to answer your prayers and he hasn't been answering your prayers from what, from what you can tell, at least. And so as we dive in today, I, I believe that the psalmist is giving us, uh, to an extent, a roadmap to follow to combat all those things, but also that can inform us on how to actually um, and really guard our heart by the word of God. And so there's a lot to be covered in this text. It's rich. We're going to look at a few things together, starting in verse 10. So verses 10 and 11, we're going to be looking at the, the storehouse. Uh, With my whole heart, I seek you, verse 10 says. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The first thing we see the psalmist declare is that this wholehearted seeking after God begins with filling the storehouses of his heart with the very words of God. You know, in the ancient world as well, in many ways, the way that you would conquer a foe is you would just wait them out. If you caught somebody at the right time, unprepared or unaware, even if they did retreat quickly into their walls, the walls wouldn't be much help if their storehouses weren't full or they didn't have enough in them. Then it was only a matter of time before you would actually starve them out. And understanding this to be true, the psalmist knows the importance of filling his own storehouses with those things needed in times of trouble. That's why early on in Psalm 34, 8, it says, Oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And then Isaiah 55 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. 
Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. I'm easily and regularly reminded of my heart's desire to reach towards what seems in the moment um, the right thing, right? The thing that's going to fulfill me, the thing that's going to give me what I need. Um, But I can draw a map uh, back to most of the times in my life when I've had a streak of sinfulness in one particular way or another. Maybe it's anger or pride, selfishness, desire for riches, desire for an easy life. In almost all those instances, I can point to a particularly dry season when it comes to my time in the Word. These seasons normally accompany, if you will, an empty storehouse for me, an empty storehouse. And that might be you right now, and you just haven't really connected the dots. You might be struggling through a particular sinful pattern or something that's just always crouching at the door for you, wondering why you can't get past it. And it would be good for us to just take a moment and have quiet reflection and ask God and ask ourselves, what are our storehouses full of? Is it the promises of the world? Is it the promises of God? What are your storehouses full of? A full storehouse also means that when challenged with a competing worldview, we're able to draw on the truth found in Scripture and know that the lies we're being fed truly are just that. They're lies in the first place. The number of times in my life that I've felt lost amidst all the swirling narratives trying to pull me to and fro is not because the truth, listen to this, it's not because the truth wasn't available to me. It's because my storehouse was empty. It wasn't because it wasn't available. It was because my storehouse was empty. And friends, God's word is both sufficient and perfect for a life of godliness. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Scripture is sufficient for us in these moments. On a real practical level, this this is where things like Bible study and scripture memory comes into play. Uh, First and foremost, like you're not gonna know what the Bible says unless you've actually read the Bible and you've taken the time. This sounds obvious. You're like, Matt, thank you for taking the time to tell me that. But you actually have to take the time to invest the energy to see what it says. You may be asking the question, what does God say about A, B, or C? Um, And the reality is we just need to pick this up and take the time to dive into it to see exactly what he does say. And secondly, we also need to fill our storehouses with resources that are easily accessible in times of need. We don't have a Bible with us at all times. We have our phones, but a lot of us, including me at times, don't remember the scripture reference that I'm looking for. And this may seem like a daunting journey to embark on, but memorizing one verse a month adds up after a while. My little girl, she's four years old, and she's full of scripture somehow. It's, it, blow, it blows my mind. She's correcting me when I'm trying to tell her, you know, to help her get the scripture right I'm on a regular basis, because she knows exactly what it says, and she's four. In a particularly dark period of my life, I committed the 23rd Psalm to memory, and every time I go back into a dark season or I, I'm running into trouble, if you will, um, this is a, it's a balm to my soul. Like it's, it's a helpful reminder of the faithfulness of God towards me and his ability to care for me, even in the midst of trial. 
And then lastly, this may seem a little self-explanatory as well, but if you're a Christian in the room, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit living inside of you to help you understand and apply this to your life. We just have to ask him for his help. He wants to help us. When we run into particularly difficult passages, he's the best help that we can find. So petition the Holy Spirit for help in those moments. But it's not enough, friends, to just fill the storehouse. There needs to be a deepening love and delight for the things that are inside the storehouse. Look with me ahead a few verses at verse 14. It says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways, and I will delight in your statutes, and I will not forget your word. The psalmist has moved from a full storehouse to a delight in what's stored up inside of him. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. This is a movement from something that's been stored up to something that's adored after a prolonged look upon it. Today, the idea of meditation uh, can be a bit confusing, right? Eastern uh, mysticism and religion has kind of hijacked it uh, in the idea that, that it's kind of promoted as this is what you do to empty your mind. You just need to empty your mind, have a quiet mind. That's what meditation is. But the reality is that what Christian meditation is and what the psalmist is, uh, is, is talking about here is not just a removing of things from your mind, but a filling it of the right things. It's a filling of the word of God. There's going to be moments where we're going to need to remove things from our minds, sinful thoughts, things that don't need to be there. But it's not meant to stay empty. It's meant to be filled with the word. Donald Whitney, who's, a, who's a, an author, a professor, uh, he wrote a great book on the spiritual disciplines. He said this about Christian med- meditation. He said, deep thinking on the truths and the spiritual realities re- revealed in scripture for the purposes of of understanding, application, and prayer. Let me say that again. Deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in Scripture is for the purposes of understanding, application, and prayer. To meditate on something is to do the work to truly let it sink in. To get to know something on an intimate level, it's a deepening of something. Another theologian, Michael Wilcox, says, the the psalmist is commending not the miser's love for mere quantity of things in the storehouse, if you will, but the connoisseur's appreciation of value for the things. Value for the things. Um, When I met my wife, I did not know her very well. Um, And... uh, and, at, and as it, you know, which led to lots of problems probably. Um, but uh, as I got to know her more, um, and I, I'm still getting to know her more, I'm learning things about her. But there came a time when I had to in, intently look on my wife and actually let that stuff sink deep down inside of me. To, to ponder on the things that make her unique to other women. And that deepening, if you will, of my knowledge of my wife has led to a greater and deeper delight in her which leads to a deeper joy as we spend time together. And this is something that comes with time. It's always fun to sit down with a couple who has been happily married for like 40 or 50 years and experience the level of delight that they have for each other. We use words to describe it like cute or sweet, but it's actually a holy thing that's a gift that comes with time. It's a gift that comes with time. The problem is that many of us skip this step when it comes to our relationship with our Bibles. Uh, There isn't a lot of delight or joy in our times in the Word. 
and it feels cold, it feels, it feels dry to us. And to be honest, if I only ever got to know my wife on a surface level, our relationship would also be devoid of joy and delight. It would feel cold and it would feel dry. And we live in an instant information society and it drives us nuts to have to watch commercials. I can't do it. I can't watch commercials. They're, these shows are available to me in other places that I don't have to watch commercials because it delays our gratification, right? We don't order food in a restaurant uh, because we'd have to wait for it. Instead, we order it online and we go pick it up and take it home because that's quicker. We show up when it's ready. And that mentality has unfortunately weaseled its way into our spiritual disciplines. We treat our Bibles like any other audiobook or podcast that we listen to on 1.5 speed. The psalmist is inviting us into a slow, methodical look, though, intentional approach to the word that we might truly delight in it. Charles Spurgeon said it very bluntly, no spiritual exercise is more profitable to the soul than that of devout meditation. So why are so many of us so exceedingly slack in it? This is the step that turns a person that loves religion into a person that loves Jesus. God didn't give us his word so that we could become a bunch of cold, legalistic, angry people lobbing grenades at other people, but so that we could, like the psalmist, fall in love with the God who penned the words in the first place. So ultimately what the psalmist is experiencing as he meditates on God's word is not a delight in the written words, though he does delight in them, but at a core level, it's a delight in the personal triune God who wants to speak to us. My own meditation often leads to, and on the character of God, often leads to me worshiping God himself, being in awe of who he is. Now, our equivalent today might look like, more like meditating on what the word says about the person and the work of Jesus and learning to have a greater delight in the length and the depth of the love he has for us. It struck me earlier, earlier this morning, and this is why uh, Good Friday is such a powerful moment in the life of the church calendar, is because we take a, a day to just think deeply and intently about the cross of Christ and what that means for us. And if you're like me, it leads to repentance and it leads to worship, and it leads to a greater delight in Jesus. You know, it's telling to me that most of the, spiritual, the, the influential books on spiritual disciplines list this step of meditation in between reading and in between prayer, reading of the word and prayer. Because the study of the word followed by the meditation of the word leads to a deeper understanding, which leads to a deeper delight, which then leads to a life of worship and also leads to a life of mission. So that leads us to our last point. What do we do with the shared word of God? Verses 12 and 13. It says, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. Lastly, the psalmist isn't just a man of inward contemplation, but, that is, but so is like inwardly transformed by the truth that he's delighting in, that his outer life is also changed as well. He's transformed by the word to such an extent that he would actually stand up and declare out loud this life-changing, life-altering word, this truth that he's come so, that's been, become so near and dear to his heart. You know, if you were to ask me uh, or ask someone who knows me well the things that I truly love, it wouldn't take them very long to, to rattle them off because I'm a textbook oversharer of things that I, that I love. Um, 
Uh, and you laugh, but most of us are like this to an extent in the room. Um, I'm sure I talk about things that I find interesting to, to other people that don't find them interesting. Um, and we all have at least one thing that we love, if not more, that we find a way to interject into conversations that they don't belong into at all. Uh, my family, and as soon as I say this, some of you are going to be like, this, is, this has happened to me. My family has this heirloom cabin in Colorado. Um, and uh, it's, one, it's one of my favorite places on the planet. But I, given any opportunity to interject about a story from this place into a conversation, I will do it. If you're going on vacation somewhere, I will interject that I went on a vacation here and this happened. Or if you're talking about the outdoors, I'll talk about how I experienced the outdoors here. And it's because I love it. It's because it's had a profound impact on my life. I've been there my entire life growing up. And because of that, I want other people to know about it, and I want other people to experience, even if at a small level, the joy that I experience. I love taking people there for the first time so that I can see the look on their face as they survey the beauty. And it's because I love it. It's something I want to share. And this is how the psalmist feels, not about some place, but about God and about his words. Now, there's no greater cause to give your life to. Nothing that should stir us to stand up and speak and declare like the words of our God given to us for our good and for his glory. A life marked by the word is a life of declaration, not just a life of hidden contemplation and proclamation. It's proclamation. Romans 10 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I find it particularly compelling that the psalmist is asking a question that he happens to know the answer to. How can a young man keep his way pure? Well, many of you in the room particularly those of you who walk with Jesus for a long time, just need to look around and you will find another young person asking this question and they don't know the answer. But you do. You do. Parents, grandparents, empty nesters in the room, please don't waste your life. We need you. We need you. <laughs> I, uh, um, I'm fondly remembering this this. Uh, period of my life now today, but uh, my wife and I led a community group years ago that was all 20s and 30-somethings, and we were, they, we were by far the oldest people in the group in our early 30s, and um, it was a fun, vibrant time in the life of our church. I, I, I had a blast uh, leading the group together with them and the Freemans, Kel and Lindsay, and, um, but I remember distinctly feeling that kind of like deficit, that I needed someone that had some wisdom like real wisdom to come speak it into both my life and the life of all these young people. And this really godly older couple decided to start going to our church. And I went to them and begged them, please don't be a part of any other group. Please come be a part of my community group. We need you. We need you. And, and, they, and they graciously agreed. And that led to um, a, uh, first an uptick in the median age in our group, but also in, in, in the wisdom that they offered to us. And so as you have been through more life and as you have experienced um, more ups and downs and you've learned to rely on the Lord, we want to invite you into the life of the church and to share what you have. Share what you have. Really practically, you can pray for the younger people in our church, but you can also join a community group that's full of them. They need you. We need you. Your families, your workplaces, your neighborhoods, 
the schools you're a part of, the schools you teach at, they all need you to stand up and declare, as the theologian Herman Bavnik said it, coined it, the wonderful works of God. The wonderful works of God. Next to Jesus himself, the greatest gifts that God has given us is his word and his spirit. And there's a war going on in this big, beautiful world. Praise God that he's given us his word and his spirit. And I'll close with this, the famous hymn uh, that I'll warn you has some words you may not understand in it because it's old. A mighty fortress is our God, says it this way. It says, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. The word means wall, a wall never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth there is no equal. It is not his equal. But then he goes on in verse 4 to say, That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them, abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. So let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you, you gave us your word and you gave us your spirit and you didn't leave us alone. through all the narratives, through all the things that are swirling in our world. God, you didn't leave us without the helper, and you didn't leave us without your very words. And so we're a grateful people today because of that. We pray, God, as we go out into the world, as we leave this place today, that you would meet us as we press in to, to, to your words for us. For my friends that have been having like a, uh, what they would consider like a, a cold, dry season, that you in, would inject life and energy and vitality into those areas. And if there's anyone in the room that doesn't know you, God, that they would turn first to your word instead of the world, and you would draw people to yourself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.